to succeed in this life, you're going to have to uh, have a right perspective about who you are and where you stand, have a right perspective about God. We've spent all summer talking about the goodness of God so that you recognize that he's not the source of any of your suffering. So all those things are very important to establish a foundation and a perspective of the kingdom of God so that you understand where you are and where God is so that we can approach God and get him involved in our life. So our life is wrapped around him. You're all enthused about that? So many just have God as a piece of their life when really it should be just all about him. You'll find that you're happier if you'll just seek first the kingdom of God instead of the world stuff. Uh, But this perspective is important too that uh, sometimes Christians get saved, then they get spirit filled, then they, then they turn everything into this huge battle against the devil about everything. Now, last uh, Sunday, Pastor Johnny talked about the, this attitude against evil, and you need that. You need a firmness and a strength and a um, dominance against evil, okay? You don't have to show it off like a wrestler walking down to the to the ring. You don't have to be like that uh, and boisterous about it, but you got to know who you are. You got to know who you are and you got to have some real attitude against evil and devil and temptation and sin and sickness and disease and oppression and depression and all those things. You got to, you got to really stand tall and firm against these things. You don't have to wallow around in the mud with them. And so this is where a lot of times Christians have uh, taken it wrong, taken the scripture wrong, been taught wrong, just misapplied things and turn this whole thing into this huge battle. Like if you get saved, you're going to be really battling against the devil. No, uh, no. Uh, if you're not saved, you're already strung up by the devil and in bondage. That's worse than recognizing you got set free and now you just have to keep the door closed so he can't mess with you. It's a lot easier. You're set free. You're out of the bondage room. Just keep the door closed. I mean, you, gotta, you, do, you do have to put your foot against the door so it can't open again. Don't let the devil have entrance into your life. Yeah, you got to do that. But that's different than being in the room trying to get out. If you're in the bondage room, get saved, get set free, get healed, learn who you are in Christ, and then break that door down and come out into freedom and live your life. Amen. So for a long time, because of the words spiritual warfare and uh, fight the good fight of faith and wrestle, some of these words are in the New Testament. It's like, yeah, man, we got to wrestle against the demons. Not really, not really. You, you need to wrestle against demons as much as Jesus did. How much wrestling demons did he do? Not too much. After 40 days, the devil lied to him three times. He said, shut up, it's written, basically. That, that was about as much wrestling as he did with the devil. That's about as much wrestling as you should be doing with the devil. But you got to get free and get on the other side of the door and just put your foot against it. You know how easy it is to just keep that door closed with your foot, if you're wearing tennis shoes especially, just keep that door. <laughs> and you just kind of, and nobody can get through. There's so much leverage with that little foot and that little toe curled against the door. There's so much leverage, nobody can get through that. That's all you got to do with the devil. But you got to learn who you got to learn and get a right perspective uh, that's from the Bible rather than from 
I don't know, cartoons or whatever. Uh, There's three types of views that Christians have. We have a book from Brother Hagin called uh, The Triumphant Church, but the the reason it's so important, it's it's the best book on demons and spiritual warfare and devil and all that, best book ever to help you identify and order right understanding about the unseen world, okay? And so rather than you and I having to battle demons and anoint the house and anoint the car and pour oil all over everything to get set free from demons, rather than that, just learn who you are in Christ. Amen. You know, some churches are still calling the pastor, uh, some, some church people are still calling the pastor to come anoint their new house with oil. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. Uh, if you want to dedicate your home to the Lord, do it with your own mouth. Uh, some people want to go deliver a place of business when they move in because there might be demons present from the old days. Eh, just show up. Just be a believer in Christ. Just show up. Demons have to go. If you sense something weird, say, go. If it stays weird, make it go. Don't be piddling around with oil all over the windows. Just go out of here in Jesus' name. That's what makes demons go, not Wesson. Or nor special oil from the holy land. And just so you know, there is no such thing as the holy land. That is not called the holy land. That is not the holy land. It's a cute term. You can use it if you want to, but there's nothing holy about the property. The Holy Land is where the Lord is. He told Moses, take your shoes off. The place you stand is holy because God's spirit was there. You're the holy. God doesn't live there anymore. He lives inside you. You're the holy land. You and I are the holy land. Totally different perspective. You're going to have to have a New Testament perspective if you're going to succeed here. And so you can't have an image of the church nor of yourself as a warring person. People get into the warring stuff, you know. They even buy fake uh, Roman armor, (laughs) clang around the house with their little sword. Three types of views that the Christian has about himself and about the church. Number one is... The militant church, um, which depicts a body of believers who are not yet seated in heavenly places in Christ and are still battling to try to get the victory over an enemy that hasn't been defeated yet by the Lord. So you can't be a militant Christian thinking that you've got to fight the devil all the time as if he's not yet defeated. Jesus Christ defeated him, and you're in Christ. He defeated him, and you're in him. I mean, he defeated the devil, and you're in Christ, so that settles it, right? He doesn't need you to to try to defeat the one he's already defeated, because you couldn't have defeated him anyway. But in Christ, you already are over him in victory. Okay, 
So that the militant church is the wrong way to think about it. Uh, the defeated church is also the wrong way to think about it. The defeated church is ignorant of the fact that they're seated with Christ and that they're supposed to be reigning in life through Jesus Christ. So the defeated church is constantly ravaged by the wiles of Satan and in a state of continual failure and defeat. The image we're supposed to have is of the triumphant church. Amen. Jesus lived life perfectly and was killed unjustly to destroy him and defeat him and triumph over him in it, and he did. The triumphant church is the biblical perspective of the body of Christ seated with Christ in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that exists in heaven and in earth. Jesus Christ defeated and destroyed and put to nothing all the powers of darkness. And then God gave him all powers been given unto me in heaven and in earth. And so therefore you go and you mop up. So rather than us in the battlefield trying to win a battle that Jesus already won, we're just mopping up. We're just walking through all the defeated foe, picking up jewelry. Just taking the spoils. Just holding ground. Do I see see a demon moving around over here? Put your foot on him. That's all it is. Just a little imagery. We're just mopping up. Jesus already won. You got to feel that. And if it doesn't, you know, some people say, yeah, but, but in my life, it seems like I can't get the victory. Well, that's because you need to learn a little bit. You need, a, you need some faith so that you can overcome. Okay. And this is where we'll go read first John here. New Testament perspective, faith perspective, word of God perspective, Spirit-filled perspective, full gospel, spirit-filled people understand this. And so we should be living at a little bit different level than the defeated church. You're not defeated, even if it felt like it. You have to know how to handle it so that you can overcome because here's the truth. All right, so 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, whatever is born or whoever is born or Anything that's born of God overcomes the world. Hallelujah. Are you born of God? All right. You overcome the world and everything in the world. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world. What is the victory? Our faith. What's the victory that overcomes the world's temptations? What's the victory that overcomes the world's trials? What's the victory that overcomes the world's sickness and disease? What's the victory that overcomes the demons of the world? What's the victory that overcomes all the challenges and sufferings of the world? This is the victory that overcomes the world. It's our faith. Just have faith in Christ and you overcome the world. Simple as that. And if you notice that there's a demon sneaking around your house, you kick him out. You kick him out. You don't plead with him to leave. You don't play games with him. You don't have to do superstitious things to get the devil out. No candle lighting will work. No crucifix. I got a, cru- I got a cross in every room. Eh, that didn't do anything, I assure you. I got a picture of Jesus over my bed. It won't do anything. 
Because that's not the, the victory is not your symbols. The victory is our faith, which is in your heart, which means you got to know that you, you've overcome these things. So you got to have a perspective that it's, it's all about Christ. He already took care of this stuff and I have faith in him. Therefore, I'm, I'm way up. I'm, I'm way up here. Seated with him. Way, way up there. I'm not, I'm not piddling around with the problems. I'm way up over them. That's why you got to be careful getting in the details of your challenge. Whether it's financial or, or health. I've seen people just get drowned in the details of their financial difficulty, their marriage difficulty, and their health difficulty. Think about it. You go get one diagnosis, and you're able to talk for 10 hours about it. You got to be very careful. Hey, I'm not saying that the, the, the details aren't there and the facts aren't there. I'm not saying that it's not necessarily happening, but I'm saying you better be very careful or it will rob you of your faith. Verse five, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God? We're supposed to have this advantage that because I believe in Jesus as the son of God, man, I've got some power and authority because I'm the body of Christ. Amen. And everything's been put under his feet. And so you need to just let this revolutionize your heart to the place of, okay. Matter of fact, just try it. Say, say, okay. okay. All right, that settles it. All right. All right. All right, that's it. Is that how you feel? You got a, you got a challenge? Maybe it's chronic, maybe it's terminal, maybe it's emergency. No, 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 no. That's it. That's it. That's it. I'm done with this. Out. Stop. Whether it's poverty, you can stop poverty. No, no more poverty in this house. No more lack. That's it. I got victory over lack. I'm redeemed from poverty. I'm redeemed from spiritual death. I'm redeemed from sickness. Redeemed from depression. Redeemed from the curse of the law. You got to do it with some, some intensity. I mean, you got to mean this. Look, if you're not angry at poverty, like from Sunday, if you're not angry at evil, if you don't think poverty is evil, it, then you're never going to overcome it. You got to get some strength in your heart Amen. over things like that. First John 4, 4. You're of God, little children, and have overcome them. Them who? Well, okay, evil spirits. Because he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. Glory. Glory. All right, so you just kind of have to grow up with that in your heart. Uh, Greater is he that's in me, and so I'm not going to worry about anything. Praise the Lord. Is that enough for tonight? You know, now, now you got to pause and say, okay, how are you going to apply this? You're going to go home and apply this? You can do it in the car? Yes. Romans 5, I'm going to quote this to you, verse 17 in Weymouth's translation. It says, for if through the transgression of the one individual, death made use of the one indiv individual to seize the sovereignty from Adam, 
all the more shall those who receive God's overflowing grace and gift of righteousness will reign as kings in life Glory. through the one individual, Jesus Christ. You and I are supposed to reign in life. That's why I'm saying we're just mopping up here. We're not trying to win. He's already won. We're just mopping up. We're just getting the next person into the glory, just getting the next person saved, just getting the next person saved. I'm just accessing all the blessing of God when I need it. It's not supposed to be this huge struggle. Second Corinthians 2.14 says, thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Always leads us in triumph. King James says, always causes us to triumph in Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise so this is a perspective. Go to Colossians. We'll read these two. Colossians chapter 1. The Word of God needs to get in. I mean, this is how you do it. You get the... You get truth and you, and you elevate it to the place that it changes your inward attitude. Colossians chapter one, verse 13. Jesus, talking about Jesus, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So you're delivered from the power of darkness. How many of you might have felt the power of darkness upon you at some point? People think they're demonized. People think that they're harassed. Okay, good, good. That's fine. That's fine. At least you recognize when things are off. You recognize something's off. You, you got to remember, he's delivered me from the power of darkness. Ha! This thing has no power. So, but you have to exercise your authority. Out. Off. No more. Shut up. Get out of here. Sometimes you realize in the house that it's just weird and everybody's at each other. Well, why don't you stop your lip flapping, walk outside, and deal with the devil. Quit trying to one-up the people in the house and just walk outside and deal with the devil. Say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I recognize there's something in there. Whatever you are and however many you are and whoever, whatever's going I rebuke it. I command you all out. All the demons out. All the, I command all that darkness out. I'm delivered from the power of darkness. And then take an hour walk. Give it, give it a little chance. And if it's a person that's been the problem, they'll have to let the demon go too. Or somehow that person will end up taking a walk. But you got to rise above. You got to rise above it using scripture. I know I'm delivered from the power of darkness. I'm not going to have this oppression and this angst on me. Just forget it. <clears throat> I'm going to go eat peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And... Isn't that what you do when you have angst? Just go eat. No, deal with it spiritually. Then go eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and then go do what you got to do. Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, if you end up going home tonight eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I want you to email the church and let us know that it worked. No. I'm still thinking about making a deal with some of the restaurants around here because I know when I mention certain restaurants or foods, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm hungry. Might as well go there. And so we could make some advertising money. 
Have y'all ever seen some of those old uh, healing tent meetings? You ever seen some of the black and white with, with the healing meetings of the 40s and 50s? And I remember one, A.A. Allen is in there and they bring a stretcher up and uh, this fellow's laying on the stretcher, you know, paralyzed. And A.A. Allen, uh, you know, he, he's interviewing him and seeing what's wrong, what's wrong, stomach, stomach cancer, stomach cancer. And then, then he said, what's this? And was, I think it was the guy's shoes. He was going to put his shoes on after he got well. He brought his shoes. And he had a little carton of milk next to him on the stretcher. This one they used to bring stretchers in. Before they went to the hospital, they'd come by the church. Now it's all different. But anyway, so people were really expecting to get healed. And so he, he saw this carton of milk sitting there on the stretcher. And A. Allen goes, what's this? He was, gonna, he was ready to drink his milk after he got healed of stomach cancer. Glory. And A. Allen goes, carnation, the valley's finest. <laughs> Into the camera, like... Because you know how much how much persecution and flack the healing faith preachers got. They still get it. But back then it was a big deal. Everybody hated them or half the country hated them, half loved them, but get a little favor with the, <laughs> with the business world. <laughs> Advertising. And he did get healed. You can watch it on the thing. He got healed, skinny as a rail, got up, drank his milk and walked off. Colossians chapter two, verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So while you had trespasses, you were separate from God, but now he's made you alive together with him. Like you were separate, then you got saved and he made you alive, connected himself to you that changes everything. You understand how that changes everything? You're united with God himself. <clears throat> Glory. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. King James says handwriting of ordinances that was against us. It was like, Okay, what's the, what's the case? What are the charges? Here's the charges against you. Here's the charges against you. And he, he took that and said, thank you very much. The charges against every one of you nailed it to the cross. So you're exempted from all charges. That's what, that's what that means. This is how you can live free and clean in your own conscience. So when the devil says, but you know... When the devil brings it up and says, yeah, but look at all your failure, you bring the scripture up. Yeah, that's nailed to the cross too. Yeah, but you did it again. He nailed that one too. And he nailed that one too because he took care of it before I did any of it. Nailed it to the cross, verse 15. Having disarmed, this is Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This is how, this is how triumphant we are. 
Jesus already triumphed over the devil, even in all his accusations against you and I for all of our shortcomings. And he not only triumphed and whipped him, he made a show of him openly. Like, you know how, you know how in sports and stuff, when you win, you're supposed to be a good winner. You know, you don't want to rub it in. Jesus rubbed it in. That's all it means. He, he, he made a show, a public spectacle. He made a show of the devil and demons openly. Well, how come Jesus made it fun of it? Why did he, make, why did he do that? Uh, you and I are supposed to win honorably and nobly and respect people and honor people because we walk in love. You do not walk in love against the devil. That's right. Jesus was not required to walk in love against the devil. So he made a show of him openly. Right. He rubbed his nose in it. And that particular phrase is actually uh, from the Greek language, a terminology that they uh, used when one king was defeated by another king, and the defeated king would be tied to the chariot uh, without clothes and marched around the town and marched around the, that region or that state to show that he's been defeated. It was humiliating the defeated king. So that's why we laugh in church, because the devil's been defeated. He's been stripped. He's been shamed. That's right. Glory. So why would you be worried about the devil? Why would you be chasing the devil all over the place? Jesus didn't chase the devil all over the place. Matter of fact, he said, "Get behind me." I'm not looking at you. I'm not messing with you. I'm not dealing with you. You come out and you go. You get behind. It was always disappear from me. Right. Never a, you know, let's wrestle around a little bit. All right. So you need this attitude, okay? You got to have this attitude. You got to recognize the devil and demons and evil and how they influence people. You got to recognize deceptive thoughts. That's the devil. You got to take authority. You got to cast down. You got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You got to cast down all the imaginations and reasonings and theories that are ungodly that the devil gives you. I'm not saying there's no devil. I'm not saying you just go through life and don't even think about it. You do have to recognize how the devil messes with you. And the biggest fight are your thoughts. It's, it's, your, it's the battle of your brain up here. When are you going to take control of your brain? Quit trying to control the devil. Control your thoughts. Once the devil knows that he can't lie to you anymore, he'll go. People say, does the devil know what I'm thinking? No, he doesn't know what you're thinking unless you take his thought. But if he's lying to you and you're taking it, he knows that. He knows you're getting obsessed with his deception. He knows you're getting, you know, uh, offended. He knows you're getting oppressed. He knows because you haven't resisted him. I would say in the spirit, he knows if you've resisted or not. Yes. And if you've resisted, he has to go. As long as you know he has to go, he has to go. If you're not sure that he has to go and you're planning on having a bad day, oh, it looks like the devil's all over me today. Okay, well, you didn't resist the devil, so he's just going to sit there and lie to you and at the end of the day, you'll be more depressed. That's kind of old-fashioned symbol. Now it's, 
All right, praise the Lord. So we got it. We, we, we're the triumphant church. You need a perspective that, hey, look, it's easier than you think. And you have a God that you can go to and get answers. Okay. In the Old Testament, look, they didn't have, they couldn't do it. In the Old Testament, people couldn't just run to God and get their answer. Did you know that? In the Old Testament, you got a bunch of stories, right? But those stories happened hundreds of years apart. And those stories were usually just one person, one family in the nation at a time was getting an answer. One prophet was getting spoken to and caused miracles. And then 50 years later, finally another prophet would rise and another miracle could happen for somebody. Can you imagine how desperate that was? But now, now that Christ has come, now that faith has come, we can all have faith in God. We can all hear from God. We can all have the spirit within. We can all be led. We can all be spoken to. We can all execute the will of God. We can all cause miracles. We can all get answers to prayer. Everything's changed. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you. But you got to know a couple of the keys and feel it this way. Okay, this is all about relationship again. So those who do know their God will be strong and do exploits. Those in here who know God best and better, you'll have a better miracle life. You'll have more of the covenant come to pass for your life. So you got to know God. This is what we're doing. We're trying to help us know God better. See him clearer understand the word better, know, so that we can experience his person better. Because if you can get to the person of God, you can have every prayer request answered quickly. If you can get to his person in spirit, it's over. Meaning all problems are solved, all joy and peace has come, and you have no care in the world. If you can live close to his person, you'll never have anxiety. Even in the craziest times, you can, if you're close to his person, you can live free from all stress, anxiety, depression, and worry. You can have total hope as well. You, you get close to the person of God in relationship with the unseen one. You know, we, we use the term personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the reality of it. But what we're talking about is really getting to the invisible person of God by faith. Only through Jesus Christ can I get close to God. But once I am, then I can have hope that carries me. Teenagers, you can have hope that carries you. These days, I know that youngsters, they're having a tough time having hope. They don't know what, they don't know what it is, but it's a lack of hope that's causing them to feel so anxious. Scared about the future, uncertain about the future, pressured about the future. Listen. You get close to the person of God, that's your solution. Your solution is not found on the outside. It's not found with psychology or psychiatry or your friend's psychiatrist. It's, it's, your, your solution is found getting close to the person of God and you'll have supernatural hope. Glory to God. Strengthened, led by God, covered by God, supported by God, everything's okay. I don't have to know my future because I'm walking with God. So supernatural hope. All these things come by getting close to the person of God. All right? 
you're going to have to walk in the spirit. It's not a, it's not a message tonight on walking in the spirit, but you're going to have to know the Holy Spirit, get close to the Holy Spirit, pray in tongues with the Holy Spirit. Walking in the spirit means you're living close to the Lord. Amen. It means you're walking in love. Walking in the spirit means you're walking in God and God is love. So you're walking in love. So you can't really be close to God if you don't treat people right around you. If you're rude and irritable to the people in your life, you're not in the spirit. You're in the flesh. You're just being a selfish person. Everybody was all excited. I mean, you should, the decibels have gone down in the room. God's going to do something for me. Yay! As long as you... Uh. That means walking in love, it means you have a prayer life. That means you have a word life. Walking in the spirit means you're living by this word. Amen. Walking in the spirit doesn't mean that you're kind of weird and, oh, he's had another dream. I had a dream and a vision. What do you think it means? It means you haven't been in the word enough. <laughs> no, dreams and visions are of God uh, many times, but men, look, if you're not in his word, you'll have the kookiest dreams of all. Only the word can keep you grounded. Only the word can give you life. Amen. So if you're walking in the spirit, you're walking by his word. That means if it says it, you're in it. Right. You believe it, you're doing it, you're anchored to it. The Holy Spirit's never gonna tell you something outside the word of God, all right? Walking in the spirit means you're obeying your conscience. You're not violating your conscience. You know better. You know what's right. You know what you ought to do. Uh, praise the Lord. So you're going to have to walk in the spirit. Now go to John. <clears throat> John chapter 15. <clears throat> John chapter 15. So, so we've got to have right perspective. And then we're going to have to learn how to ask. We're going to have to be close enough to God in the spirit. And so you'll, you'll sense that as you walk with God, you'll sense that you're close to him. And based on that closeness, you can ask him. I mean, you can ask him no matter how far you are from him, you can ask him, but you'll notice in your Christian walk, the closer you sense you are to God, the easier it is to get your prayers answered. And I would say, don't even ask until you draw near to him. It might not take long. It might just take, you know, five seconds or, or five minutes but draw near to him before you ask. Don't just come in in the flesh and start asking for all your troubles to be fixed. Draw near to him, get close to him in person, and then make your request as if you really expect him to answer you. So let's, let's look at the word because it's based on this word that you're going to have faith for that. Because there's millions of people out there praying and their prayers don't get answered. What distinguishes an answered person's prayer versus a non-answered prayer? Well, it's the fact that we actually have his word and believe it and are close to him, like I've been saying, in person, or close to his person. John 15, verse seven, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Okay, there's a couple ifs in there. But you can ask what you desire, it'll be done for you. Does that mean I can have what I desire? It means exactly that. Does that mean I can have a brand new? Yep. 
means exactly that. That means I can have a good job. Yeah, it means exactly that. Whatever you desire, uh, you, you can have that. Absolutely. If you abide in him. Well, you've got to find out what that means, don't you? What does it mean to abide in him? Well, it means about a 10-hour lesson at least. It means you need to be in church at least 20 hours to find out what it means to abide in him. It means it's a lifetime of practicing and learning and practicing and learning and applying and practicing and learning and applying. To abide in him, that's a big statement. You better find out what that means. That's why this isn't just a little once a month church time and everything's cool. Not if you want that scripture to come to pass. But I feel so blessed. We got so much. Well, you can get a lot by default, just living in the earth. Heathens have a lot. How many rich heathens are there out there? Usually that's what they're thinking of is money. How many rich heathens who are married to a good spouse and having children and having lots of fun and vacations and a good job? There's tons of them. That doesn't mean they're blessed by God. That means they probably followed a few principles like work and diligence and education and treating people decently. And then, so they have stuff. But you want more than that, don't you? Isn't this all about you and God getting together on these things? Isn't this about you pleasing God with your life? Isn't this about you fulfilling his will? If you're going to get a blessing, get it from God. Hallelujah. So you have to learn how to do that. So you can have things from the Lord. I mean, really, the blessing is not getting the brand new thing that you asked for. That only lasts so long, then it ain't brand new. We asked God for a new TV, and we got it. Yay! Two weeks later, we need a new microwave. Forget the TV. <laughs> Just the way we, we are. We, we, you'll forget those temporary, tangible things. It's the relationship with God. You get a brand new TV from God? It's like, oh, he answered me. God answered me, and I know it was him because X, Y, Z. That's special. Then when you need a brand new car, ah, I know how to do this. I know that feeling inside when God does it. I'm going to go after God. All right. <clears throat> Abide in me is a big phrase. takes a long time to, to learn about that, but it means you're going to have to get close to him. You see what it is? You're going to have to have some daily disciplines, weekly disciplines, church disciplines, some real sincerity about your Christianity. Amen. Some real sincerity Amen. about being a Christian, Amen. being a faith person, being a believer in a real, you have to have some sincerity about this. Can't be a part-timer and expect this. This is too holy for part-timers. Look, God will, he'll have mercy on you. If you're a part-time Christian, he'll, he'll have occasional mercy on you and you'll get some answers from him, but he doesn't want you to stay part-time. You get blessed or you get a miracle from God. There's been many people that were just part-timers, got healed. What they're supposed to do is instantly follow Jesus closely. All right. So <clears throat> abide in, in him and my words abide in you. He puts his words in there. It's not just about this invisible fabricated relationship I have with God in my, my imagination. No, it's his words. His words have to abide in you. All of a sudden now, 
to get real miracles, you got to have word from God. And, and this is where you see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that almost every miracle, every supernatural thing that happens, happens because someone said it. Happens because God said it, and then it happens because a human said it. Every interaction with God's supernatural power involves words. So you have to get his words inside you. Uh, and I would say that the words are uh, both-sided. God's word to us is very important. Our word to him is very important. Okay? Both sides. You'll see it in scripture. Both sides. Uh, let me just quote a couple of scriptures. In Numbers chapter three, it says, Moses numbered the people, God told him to, numbered them according to the word of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord, Moses obeyed, did something. In Numbers 14, when the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation said, God should have left us in Egypt. We should have died in the land of Egypt. Send us back. And then God says, these people, I'm fed up with them. I'm paraphrasing. Moses says, he's not fed up with them. I, I, I'm about to open up the earth. Moses says, wait, pardon to God. Pardon, I beseech thee the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy. And as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now, forgive them. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. We need to be listening according to his word and living according to his word and believing according to his word. And, and he's actually doing the same. This isn't, this isn't a strange God. This is a personal God. And in personal relationship, we need to live by our word, don't we? I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. And you say, it's like, okay, thanks. And then, and then I say something, you say, thanks. And then we're going to, you're going to do that. Okay, good. Thank you. And, and so we, the whole thing, everything we do is partnership. According to my word, you're going to do something or believe something. According to your word, I'm going to do something and believe something. This is how relationships are, right? It's all about according to what we say, isn't it? Yes. Or we say according to what we say and do. According to his word, God answered. According to God's word, Moses answered. You're going to have to get this word exchange going. God said a lot. You can live your life according to it. He told you what to do. You can say, according to this, I live. He told you what to believe according to what he said, I believe. He said a lot. Of, he gave a lot of promises. According to his promises, I receive. According to what he said, I, and if you can be that sincere about it, that strict on your own self to just say, okay, he said it, therefore, that's it. That's it. All right. That's it. God said it. The people in the house, what? What's gotten into you? This. That settles it. We're not going to talk this other garbage. We're not going to do all that. We're not going to run around chasing our tails. Y'all are going to hush up. God said. Amen. This is it. This is how we live. If you're going to overcome the world, it's by faith in his word. Remember Mary? The angel appeared. Mary, you're going to have the son of God. She said, okay. Be it unto me according to your word. Wham. 
You hear a word from God, you better say the same thing. That's it. Be it unto, according to your word. Got it. You can stand on it. You can hide in it. You can, you can be safe in it. You can be defended by it. You can be resurrected in it. You can be healed in it. Whatever, according to his word, that's it. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Psalm 107, 20. Okay, that's it. He sent his word and healed me. Therefore, I'm healed. That settles it. I got other things to think about. See how you decide it, you settle it, you believe it, you receive it, you move on. And if you think about it the next day or feel something wrong the next day, no, 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 no. He already sent his word and healed me. I already received it yesterday. I'm already just going to live my life. It's a new way to live, isn't it? Hopefully you're experiencing these things and practicing these things so that it becomes real to you. It's not enough for it to be real to me. Praise the Lord. First Kings 8 says, blessed be the Lord that has given rest unto his people according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise. Same today. There's not failed one word of his good promise to us. You get close to him and believe it, nothing, nothing will fail. I know that people have tried and failed and it seemed like it failed. Eh, eh, uh-uh. If you abide in him and his word abide in you, it won't fail. It'll never fail. It can't fail. It can't fail. His, his promise can't fail because he's God. If he said it, it happens. According to his word, if you can hear it in your heart, it'll happen for you. Sometimes we stay on the surface so much. We're so strung out mentally, we can't hear in our heart. So then we can't actually say according to your word because we haven't heard it. His words have to abide in me. Not just I heard it out here in my eardrums. In 1 Kings, when Elijah was going to cause drought as a punishment for the land, it says this, uh, as the Lord God lives before whom I stand, 1 Kings 17, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. It's how you live. It's how you believe. You, you do it according to the word of the Lord. Then he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith. And then it says, the barrel of meal. Remember he told, I've, I've commanded a widow woman to sustain you. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord. So miracles happen according to the word of the Lord. You got to believe the, read the word, hear the word, believe the word, or hear it from the Holy Spirit And then you can live and believe, according to his word, I'm safe. The money's coming. According to his word, I'm secure. I have hope. According to his word, I have peace. I'm not going to have anxiety. According to his word, the prince of peace is in me. And that settles it. Praise the Lord. Remember when Elisha uh, was there with Gehazi and the, the... the army was surrounding them, and Gehazi was a little nervous. And Elijah says, Lord, Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. And it says, and the Lord did according to the word of Elisha. And he opened his eyes and he saw the angels all around the, the army. He couldn't see it in the spirit. God, Elisha asked him to, and he did it according to what he asked him to. You're going to have to ask. John uh, 16 Turn there. 
Did we read that yet? John 16, verse 23. In that day, Jesus said, you'll ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Did y'all, do we need to read it again? Yeah. In that day, you'll ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So you need to learn how to go ask. Why don't you just ask? Why don't you just get real quiet and hang in there for about five minutes, ask the Holy Spirit to prepare you and help you and, and establish your business meeting with your father and then ask him in the name of Jesus and he'll give it to you. Maybe you just need an answer. Go ask him, get your answer. Praise the Lord. Verse 24, ask you, until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Does this mean you can ask God for anything? Pretty much. I mean, you do need to be led by the Holy Spirit. You do need to be, you know, rational. Need to be scriptural. But if, you're gonna, if you need a car, don't ask him for an old, old, old car with bald tire. God, I'll take an old, old car. I wouldn't ask him for that. I'd go at least, at least to an average car. And a part of it's your fate, you know, what can you trust him for? Do you believe he would give you a brand new one? Do you believe he'd take care of you getting an average one, a one-year-old, two-year-old? 20,000 miles, pretty good car. 30,000, no problem. 40,000, pretty good car. No sense going deep into debt if you can just get a 30, 40,000 mile car. Ask God for it and expect him to come through somehow. It could be with a job, could be with extra money, could be, I don't know, with a deal. Praise the Lord. But you're going to have to learn how to ask and you have to ask on purpose. Remember Hezekiah? The Lord sent the prophet to him to tell Hezekiah to get his house in order. He's about to die. Prophet came in, told Hezekiah, you're about to die. Get your house in order. Hezekiah, he didn't, oh, the will of the Lord be done. No, no. He had a desire. And so Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. That means he's desperate. He, he's, he's, he's not looking at trouble anymore. He's, not, he's ignoring the prophet now. He's going straight to God. God, let me live longer. And instantly... Before the prophet could even leave the property, God said, go back in. I've heard his prayer. Tell him I'll give him 15 more years. How'd he get that? He asked. He asked. A lot of people have asked for longer life. A lot of people have asked for their family. I get that. I get that. You, you be the one that God answers. You, you get so close to God and so full of faith, so intimate in a personal way. Do it. You can be the one with the miracle testimony. Brother Hagen tells a story about his wife in 1957 had a goiter on her neck. And uh, Kenneth Hagen tells that he had always been a little fearful that his wife was going to die young, die early. I guess at this time she's about 40 or somewhere in there. And uh, he even felt and sensed that if she had the goiter removed, she would die in the surgery. And so he asked the Lord if he could please let my wife live. Please let me keep my wife was his prayer. And the Lord actually appeared to him, but he spoke to him. 
And he said, she will live and not die. And then God said this. He said, it was, it was divine destiny that she should die. Meaning God knew on the timetable that that was her, she was going to die. Uh, but God knowing it doesn't mean he planned it. So the word divine destiny just means, hey, God knows everything. He knows who's going to get saved. He knows how long people are going to live. He knows who's going to ask him for longer life. Divine destiny could be that your life was going to end at a certain point, but because you got saved, it's extended. And, and, and because you started learning the promises of long life and peace, will I satisfy you, it's extended further. So there is extension based on you and I. And in this case, it was just simple, simply uh, him asking for his wife to live. And he said, it was divine destiny. She should die, but I've heard your prayers and have come to answer them. She shall live. And he said this, he said, then Jesus said something that absolutely melted me and I've never been able to forget it. He said, I did this son just because you asked me to. He said, you don't know how long, you don't know how I long to do for my children if they would only ask me and believe me. Many times they beg and cry and pray, but they don't believe. And I cannot answer their prayers unless they have faith because I can't violate my word. But how often I long to help them if only they would let me by taking me at my word and bringing me their problems, trusting me to undertake for them. Tell your wife to be operated on for she will live and not die. And that's in line with how we do this. We're not opposed to doctors and medicine. You get the word from God on it you go do it. You got to know though. You got to know one way or the other. I wouldn't go to the doctor unless the Lord led. Amen. I would not go to the doctor unless the Lord led. You always want to be looking in your spirit. You always want to be acknowledging the word of the Lord. Where's the Lord in this? What's he saying? What do I need to do? Don't just dial the phone. Amen. Don't get in such a worldly habit that you just do, do, do that pattern that you were raised in. Don't do that. Learn, learn better. Go up higher with God and, and before you make moves, especially regarding your health and money, before you make moves, get the okay. Get a leading, get a sense. Well, I'm scared. Scared of what? Well, I'm scared to, to go to the doctor. Don't go. I'm, well, I'm scared not to go. That sounds really stupid. Pick one, you old double-minded thing. Pray in tongues until you can hear the word of the Lord. Pray and get close enough to God where you can get an answer. You, you sound very, very weak. You sound very, very lost. You, you listen, as a Christian, listen, as a believer, you cannot live like that. You cannot be like, if that's you, that you cannot live like that. Like you should be mad at you. Like Sunday you preached on getting some anger. You should be mad at yourself. If you're so weak that you're Scared both ways? What? Go take a nap. <laughs> Go read the Bible. Change. Go to church. Pray in tongues for three hours. You got to get out of that or you're in danger. Listen, if, if the Lord knows that your faith is not at a place to be miraculously healed and knows that going to the doctor or the hospital is the answer, you better hear that. Because some people's faith is just not there. Apparently, Brother Hagin's wife's faith was not 
for the miraculous at that point. Could have been, but when the Lord knows it, he'll help us go to plan B. He'll help us, he'll help us get the answer a different way if that's what it takes. Now, we always want God's best. We always want to go for plan A, but man, God knows, the Holy Spirit knows where you're at. Like if you can't believe for a $30,000 windfall to go buy your car, he'll let you go get a loan as long as you can pay it. I know some of you just got mad at me and threw tomatoes into the spirit. No, D- Dave Ramsey said, don't you ever. Okay, I'll ride my bicycle for five years till I have enough money to go get me a $2,000 car. Listen, you gotta, be, you, gotta, you gotta be wise and you gotta follow some decent principles in your life. But you also need to be led by the Holy Spirit and do things that are reasonable. You understand? Gotta be spirit-led, gotta be close to the person of God. Isn't that exciting? But he wants you to ask. So do what you got to do. Clear the table off. Get your brain clear and, and, and go to the table with your Bible and the Holy Ghost and stay there and ask God. Amen. Make it important. Make it like, okay, here, I'm going to ask according to your word, God, I ask for this. I declare this. I'm expecting this. I command that to happen in the earth. I'm going to ask you, Lord, to help me. I'm going to ask you to solve this somehow, and I'm going to cast my care to you. I'm asking you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and after this moment, I'm done with it. I'm going to eat my cereal and go to work. When you're close to his person, that's how it works. Isn't that what you do at your house? Maybe your family has a little coffee or breakfast together, and you say a few things, and it's like, okay, we're done. Bye. That's how you do with God. You, you, you take care of your business. You establish what's going on. He might even have something to tell you. Like you ask him and he says, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. No problem. Hey, here's what I want you to do today. It's relationship stuff here. This is not just you getting a little magic card out of your pocket. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Everybody happy? Glory to God. All right. Close your eyes for just a second. Father, we love you. We thank you. We love you. We thank you. Oh, by the way, uh, Aretha did live (laughs) till her late 80s. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. That's Brother Hagin's wife, Aretha. Brother Hagin never, he never laid hands on me. I was in a few of his meetings. I never got hands laid on by him personally, but his wife laid hands on me. They were laid hands on everybody and she came by my row and I was the first one on the row and she took her two little fingers and stuck them in my forehead and me and the whole row fell out. And, and for the rest of the evening, I felt like there was a, a hot coin in my forehead. So never underestimate a wife. I mean, I'm sorry. (laughs) Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Hey, well, you know, you you do have to be spiritual about some of these things because you see the power of God on, on somebody like Kenneth Hagin or the main speaker. And then everybody wants to run to him to go get hands laid. 
Same thing with her. Everybody wants her to go pray for him. Look. I got two fingers myself. But in meetings, in meetings, we have to recognize that whoever did the preaching and the ministering, that's who everybody wants to come get prayed from because they connected with them. They're like, oh, I, they, they can help me. Well, anybody with the Holy Ghost can help you. So be, care, be careful about deciding all this stuff. Because we've, we've just heard too many stories, Christians running around the, the country trying to get another preacher to pray for them. I've been to five preachers and they named all the famous preachers. And then, so will you pray for me now? I didn't get it. So I'm here for you. No, you're not going to get it from me either. You, you got your faith in the wrong spot. Just, you, it, it looks like, it's like, it's like, okay, Mr. Christian looks like, you know, enough to go straight to God. Quit chasing people down. But they got the anointing. Well, you got Jesus, don't you? So anyway, we've had it all the time. I've had people, well, I had Benny Hinn pray for me and I'm still sick. Well, what are you going to do about that? It's like I'm second rate. So if your great faith can't get it from him, you ain't going to get it from me. Look, there's a lot to learn when it comes to healing. Look, it's a big top subject. It's, it's important because every Christian wants to be healed. Every Christian prays in their life to be healed by God. Uh, but all of a sudden, and it's very clear in scripture. I mean, the answer is yes. Yes, yes I'll heal you. He always says that. That's the answer from the scripture. And then, but why didn't, and why didn't, and but, but, but all this complexity, and, and you, you need to understand, it has to do with your soul. It has to do with this connection between soul and spirit. And, and the truth is, uh, our brains are wired. You ever, seen a, you ever seen a computer server room with all these wires? It's, it's a little confusing in some people's brains. No, not kinda. It's confusing in some people's brain. I mean, it's like all these thoughts, all this stuff. And the longer you live, the more you got up there. That's the answer why sometimes little children get miracles quicker. And that's why new Christians sometimes get miracles quicker because they don't have all this stuff going on up here about stuff I've learned and all the stuff about God and all the people that didn't get healed, stuff like that. So it, 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 it's a soul thing and that makes it a little complicated. So each service, you're supposed to learn something that'll, you know, disconnect that strange wire and, and start lining up your, Amen. your thinking. That's right. So that's why we do it a lot. And that's why we have a lot of miracles. We have a lot of people healed here. I mean, we, many testimonies through the years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have been healed Amen. from various things. Yeah. It's like, uh, uh, it's like the kingdom of God is spiritual. And, and every time you learn something new, it's like the window opened. It's like the kingdom of God's passing by you. Ooh, you got a glimpse of God. And the kingdom of God, and ooh, you got a glimpse of healing. Ooh, now practice that. And ooh, you got another understanding. Okay. It's like these little flashes of light and truth shine in your heart. Now you got to do something with them. You won't remember all the scriptures we read tomorrow morning. You won't remember all the dots and all the phrases, but you caught glimpses. 
And so you need to use those and then develop. And then all of a sudden, the goal would be to keep that window open. Maybe that's one way to see it. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life, and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.